Hey, it's Arrow. Inside the rbeats.com studio, unplugged and totally uncut with Andrew Blauner. This project that you have put together, it didn't just suddenly appear in your head and heart. You had to grow into this process. What was it for you? Well, that's exactly right. It, it started like it does with a lot of things in childhood, and it was the only music that my older brothers and I, and probably our parents too, could, could all agree on. We maybe had different favorite Beatles songs, but it was the great common uh, denominator, democratizer. And then several years ago, uh, from back from now, there was a, a, a radio show on This I Believe, and a young girl named Macklin Levine told a story about a uh, yellow submarine uh, and a lost dog and uniting the family. And that was one of the touchstones and trigger points to sort of finally do what I think I long wanted to do, which is put together this book. See, and it it gives you the opportunity to, what I always call it, looking beyond the lyrics of the song, because we'll sing it, but we really don't know what we're singing. Exactly. I had a French teacher in school who said, you're listening to the music, but not the lyrics. And even at this age and stage, and however many times we've all heard these songs, even reading the book now, I learned lots of things about the songs that I had no no idea about before. Especially when you got somebody that like Paul McCartney doing the preface for you. I mean, he, he had to have let you in on the inside of his heart as well. It was beyond generous of him to do that. You can only imagine how many requests and the like that he gets. But again, uh, you know, someone mentioned that there are something like 3,000 Beatle books, wow. Beatle books about the Beatles in print. And yet, I if I had seen this kind of book or this book already out there, I, the last thing I would have done is sort of try to do something that's already been done. But uh, but you're right about Paul, of course. Aren't, aren't you taking readers to a completely different level? And the reason why I bring that up is because, yes, I've been listening to XM, the Beatles channel, and I have learned so much from that. But at the same time, you you really make this moment in Beatles history very special because not only do I get to read it, but I get to listen to it. Well, that's a great point. I appreciate you saying that. And so it's almost like we're having a Beatles moment now with the 50-year anniversary of Sgt. Pepper, the Sirius XM channel. But on the other hand, it's sort of been one long, continuous 50-some-odd-year <laughs> Beatles moment. And it's funny you mentioned Sirius. My girlfriend and our toddler and I were in a nine-and-a-half-hour car ride coming back from Cape Cod yesterday. And thank goodness for the Beatles and the Beatles channel, because that sustained us. And there was someone who was in her 20s in the car as well. And again, it was the thing that we could all agree on and be happy to listen to. Now, the Beatle fan that I was is I grew up in the 70s. I didn't know that there was a band called the Beatles. I only knew of Paul McCartney and George Harrison, and and that's how I got to know who they were. Well, that's fascinating in its own way. I mean, there's some people I work with. I'm an agent in my day job, and I work with Frank Gifford back in the old days, and there are people who knew him as a great football player for the Giants, some people knew him as a Monday Night Football guy, and some people knew him as Kathy Lee's husband, um, but that you knew the Beatles in there sort of individually, that makes you an anomaly, I think, in that way. What was it like for you to be able to step into this picture and come back to reality? Meaning, and, and I know what we just talked about XM and Sirius and stuff like that, but, but as a writer and as that literary agent, you know that we go into play and sometimes we don't want to come back out. That's perfectly put. I mean, I was just thinking this morning, it's almost like it sounds so trite and, and like 
banal, but it's actually true. I feel like a lot of times when I start listening to the music again, it's like falling in love again, <laughs> like the first time over and over and over again. I just never get tired of it. I always hear something new. I'm always sort of happy to share it with somebody, even a more nuanced or, or you know, obscure song. So yeah, to, to, to put it aside and come back to quote unquote reality, but they were our reality, right? And, and still are in so many ways. Do you find yourself listening to music differently now that you've done a, a, a chapter or two about the Beatles music? That's a good question. I haven't thought about that. Uh, not that I'm consciously aware of, but I, I suspect you're right. I suspect, yes, probably, maybe more attuned to the lyrics and the story, uh, which there isn't always there. But in this case, I mean, the, it's just the storytelling and the lyrics that these guys wrote. And when you think that they were only, so, that they were so young in their 20s and yeah. that they were, you know, obviously the, the early work was very um, sort of more lighthearted and about love and that sort of, but, you know, even toward the end, it, it got pretty deep pretty fast. The at while at the radio station, I had f- the four Beatle pictures up on my on my studio wall, and people, what mm. they did was they they said, "Why why the Beatles? Why does it have to be in the room?" And I said, "You know what? What this does is this shows teamwork. There are four completely different men that are in that photograph, but yet they all came together and created harmony, and that's what's missing from today's business world. Do you not agree? It was a moment in history that we can learn from many, many, many decades later." Well, you're talking my language. We were we did an event for the book uh, at the launch the other day, and somebody was sort of expressing sort of disappointment or just observing how how not inferior but less the work was that they each did after the band broke up. And the person was expressing surprise at it, and I agreed with the first part. But I, I, there was nothing surprising to me about how the fact that the, you know that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. This is a quintessential example of that. How that can be applied for sure. Maybe that's the next book. You know how how to, how to build your business or improve your business by using a Beatles model. I don't know. You need to George Martin to bring it all together. <laughs> I, I, I've been with Giles Martin twice, and boy, I'll tell you what the stories that he shares about his father and how he tried to do everything humanly possible to keep them humanized, but at the same time to to keep them creative. That's, I mean, people say the art of a good manager is bringing you down when some bring you back to reality when you're too high and bringing you up when you're too far down. George Martin just seemed to have the magic touch. I mean, I just revered him. Did you have a favorite Beatle? Well, it's funny you say that. I would have said it, it sounds like a punchline, but George, you know, there's two Georges, but George Martin was my probably my favorite in the whole cast. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, the favorite Beatle, it, it sort of rotated, I think, like a lot of people did. And I'm sorry to say this and in some way, but everyone except Ringo sort of had uh, had a phase in my life where it sort of predominated. Yeah, the I, a couple of years ago, I put together, actually it took more than a couple of years. My, my new book is based on John Lennon, If He Were Alive Today. And so, mm. and, and as a writer, I challenged myself to go get the Mont Blanc John Lennon writing instrument and to, to yeah. write that book. Now, as a literary agent, you guys are very tough people to get a hold of. <laughs> we're, we're talking now. We are, someone said you need an agent just to get an agent yes. these days. It's just. <laughs> It's sort of sad, but it's sort of a function of, you know, everybody has a laptop now, and it's as opposed to, my, you know, my friends who are filmmakers and the barriers to entry are just so much higher in some way you need financing. Anyone can sort of tell a story, and sort of the number of writers funneled, funneled down to the number of agents who then are gatekeepers in some way to try to get it to publishers. But yes, that's what I hear, that agents can be unresponsive, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Did, I've probably been guilty. Did you get to talk with, with uh, Yoko at all during, during this process? 
I did not. She's one of the two people I sort of reached out to in different ways, uh, one of two people who did not respond in any way. The other person, in case you're wondering, who did not respond was uh, President Obama, <laughs> whom I th- who I thought if he was going to write, he's sort of on record as saying that, of course, he loved the song Michelle. Yeah. So I thought it would be a coup to have him write something about that, and that didn't come to pass. But Yoko, no, I never heard back. See, I see I see that as an opportunity for you to have follow-up books now, one with, with about Obama, one about Yoko, because th- this can't just stop with one book, dude. <laughs> well, with the thank you, the, the cat love it. I mean, the, most of, I've, this is my sixth anthology, and I've never really had the instinct to do a sequel or a volume two, except with this one, because the, the number of writers and the number of songs and the, the catalog. I mean, I think we've got what twenty eight or so here out of two hundred some odd. Um, yeah, we could keep going. Now. As that writer, we all go through a mourning period when the book is done. With you knowing yeah. what the book is going to do, is is it a continuation the way we're reacting to it, or did you go through that mourning period too? Huh. Uh, I mean, the book just launched last week, so it's sort of that honeymoon phase <laughs> and a little bit of anxiety and waiting for reviews and that sort of thing. But the excerpts have been, you know, in the New Yorker and the Atlantic and in Vogue, and so the seeds have been planted and the hooks baited or whatever you do in fishing uh so you know and heading into summer hopefully it has legs and and not just then but sort of into perpetuity did you get to play the literary agent in this game or did you have to separate your separate yourself from from that that level That's, of play these are great nobody else asked these questions uh i sort of have that Sherlock Holmes hat where I spin it around yep. and you know when I when I'm an anthologist I put these books together I'm I'm not it's it's related, obviously. It's sort of collateral uh, uh, work, but uh, no, I I mean I represented myself. I could I could conceivably get an agent to represent me on these books, but I've just never sort of seen the value or virtue of that. But isn't that the part of the the, the fun of it all? Because you the experiences that you've had have now come to a point, and you get to grow from it. Oh, for sure. I I'm so beyond grateful and and elated and and i'm sure if there's a bad review or somebody ignores it uh, you know i'll be disappointed maybe a little miffed but for the most part to get to do this is is a joy i mean it just does it's a it's the cliche of it doesn't feel like work it's just how could it not be um so yes i i hope it's just that once one is done it's sort of like when people talk about having children it's sort of I don't know, you know, until the inspiration or the passion comes for the next one, because I can't just turn the crank and sort of <laughs> put these books together on a subject that just doesn't, uh, you know, drive me. I'll tell you the feeling that I kept getting while, while while going through the book was I kept going, I wish Casey would have said this. I wish I could have heard Casey talking about what this man is unveiling. It, 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 the Casey Kasem was such a mag- magnet to the Beatles as solo performers, but yet the way that you're writing, you do it in that Casey style where it, you're sharing the story. You're not telling me anything. You're sharing it. That's so nice of you to say. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's so apropos. And it's funny, my, one of my, my first year in the business as an agent, I wrote a letter to Casey just thinking, what a, what a great story he has to tell from all different aspects and all different kinds of books. And I just thought I'd sent it out into the ether and I'd never hear back. And one time they, the, the assistant buzzed through and said, I have someone on the phone saying he's Casey Kasem. <laughs> and it actually, it actually was. And I don't know if he ever ended up writing the book. But that's exactly, it doesn't feel like selling. It doesn't feel like anything other than sharing and advocating and 
you know, uh, championing something. So you going to take this book up to the fourth dimension, some podcasting, maybe get the attention of XM so you can be one of the features on there because you got some magnetic stuff here, dude. Well, thanks. Then, uh, you know, Bill Flanagan is in the book and has been a great supporter of the book and he's at XM and, you know, Alan Light is is in the book and he has a show there. We, you know, we'd do anything we could to sort of ally with them. And again, I'm already hooked on the channel. I haven't had to start paying for it, but now, now, now there's no turning back. So yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to partner with them in some way.